Father, thank you that you use us. We're not perfect. <laughs> we have our own challenges and our own discovery. And Lord, but thank you that you use us. And uh, thank you that as simple as Jesus said it, a cup of cold water really makes a difference. And Father, the words that John's going to speak while he's there, the uh, way he's going to communicate, the love he's going to express, uh, the nature of your life change in him that he's going to exhibit, God, the granting of the principles of your word to be so clear that can't be but understood. Father, the power of your Holy Spirit going before uh, and after uh, and during. Uh, Lord, we are just dependent on you and thank you that you use us. Thank you that you use Cornerstone this way. Uh, may the nature of your kingdom be broadened, uh, not only in the lives of these up to 200 pastors who will be in the room that John will teach, but across Burundi across this nation in the hearts of the president and the hearts of other leaders and the hearts of the spiritual leaders of this, of this country as well, God, so that the kind of healing that you desire for them to know would be theirs. Grant them grace. Grant us grace as we pray each day that we might not, might not only be remembered to pray uh, and be diligent in our prayers, but that we recognize that you are the one who wins the battle. You are the one who does the work. And so as we go, we are just serving you uh, stewards of the mysteries of God, uh, might they be uh, literally in, empowered and impacting this country. We pray that in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. I want to start off today's message with a question, and the question is a pretty simple question. Hi, Art. How are you? Hi, Angie. It's good to see you. This is my niece and her husband. I hadn't seen them. I knew they were here, but I hadn't seen them to this moment. So, hi. It's good to see you. Yay. <laughs> um, life's kind of like that, isn't it? You know, you kind of just run into something, experience something, and in a moment something happens to you, you know, just real reward or change or, you know, something like that. And so I want to start this with a question that I hope will end up doing that for you. You know, when, when you think in terms of how you grow in Christ, I mean, how does that happen? How does growth in your life as a Christian actually take place? What, what creates it? You know, I have a friend, and he's a real interesting kind of guy. And uh, I, he's, um, it, it, it doesn't matter where you enter the conversation with him. It never matters what the subject is or where you enter the conversation with him. He always ends up at one place. It's one place. And it's just kind of capsulized in the two words, you must. <laughs> I mean, it make any difference what you're talking about. He's going to come out of it with you must. I have another friend who just, that just grates on his nerves. You know, he just goes, it's kind of like, you know, nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> just bothers him. Why does he always end up there, you know? Where is grace in all of this, you know? It's kind of like this legalism thing, you know? And, and that's how it feels, at least. But how does growth take place? When you think in terms of your personal life with Christ and your personal life and walk with God, what creates growth? Now, I don't necessarily have a great picture of this for you. Uh, maybe as you ask that question yourself, you'll get one. But I, but I do have one. It's a real simple picture that I'll share with you that might be helpful. I hope it is. And it's, um, I actually saw this in a restaurant. Okay, so it's a, it's a picture, and it's a picture of a table. Now just uh, imagine that you're looking at this table from the side, and when you look at the, the, the top of the table, you notice that the table is level. It's just a level table, something you would expect, right? It's a level table. But then when your eyes fall to the ground, you notice the single pedestal that's under this table and the four prongs that's coming off of that pedestal. And underneath one of these prongs, there's three inches of napkins. <laughs> what creates growth in your life? How do you grow as a Christian? When you look at your life every day, walking through life, experiencing what God's up to in your life, I mean, what in the world is that? I mean, and the title of this message, you know, how do you apply Scripture to the daily experiences that you have? What creates the result of that? I mean, what takes the Christian to the place to where the Word of God gets melded with their experiences so that the nature of what God is after in their life actually is experienced? The peace of Christ, for example, the victory that Christ wants you have. Uh, the, the understanding of the health that you have, you know, the balance in life, kind of like that table. You know, I mean, what, what creates that? Well, I'm going to give you five easy steps, okay? Five easy steps. And I am serious. These are easy. Anyone can do these. Anyone can, okay? Anyone can do these five steps. That, that's how easy they are. Now, that word can is a, is a word about capacity, you have the capacity to do these five steps. Now, I'm not asking the will you question, okay? I'm asking, I'm just making the can you statement. You know, you can do these five things. So let's put up the first one just to, to get hold of this thing. Clarify 
the biblical issue Christ reveals in what I experience. That's step number one. When, when I go through life, instead of just looking at what happens to me and just you know, looking at something that takes place and you just go, well, that's a problem. That's a problem. Or looking at an experience in life and you go through and you say, this is a conquest, you know? I am going to win this battle. <laughs> this is a challenge I'm going to overcome. I don't care what it is. Or a way, a way to say it real personally, human maybe, is uh, I'm going to win. You know, what I want is going to happen. I'm going to get what I'm after. I am going to, all, I'm, I'm going to fight for it. Instead of just looking at life as problems or opportunities, or what about looking at the experiences of life as a revealer of something God is trying to do in your life. Clarify what Christ is after in that particular experience. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. Like an, an example, a, a person loses their job. That's a tough thing to happen, isn't it? Get fired. Man, there's a lot of emotional things that happen in the life of the person that goes through that. A lot of, I mean, a lot of things that happen inside that person. And they can look at it as a conquest. They can look at it as a problem. They can look at it in a lot of different ways. But suppose that God might be up to something in that person's life through that experience of them losing their job. For instance, maybe he wants them to discover who to really depend on. Okay, another example. Um, my spouse keeps saying this stuff to me. She, over and over and over, I mean, just... Constant, go y'all, have y'all experienced that? Are you married? I mean, you know. I mean, it just comes and it comes and it comes. And I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Now, I can view that as a problem. I can view that as something I'm going to win. I'm going to conquest. I'm going to, you know. Or maybe, just maybe, God might want you to learn how to listen better. Maybe he's talking to you. Clarify what Christ might be after through the experience that you're actually walking through. Like, have you ever had something you know, you know the right thing to do? You know something you should do. It's, it's, you, know, you know it's right. You, you should do it. But you got this thought in your head, and it's bothersome to you. As a matter of fact, this thought that you have in your head is so bothersome that it distracts you from doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. Maybe with your family. You know, you got a responsibility, and you just don't achieve the responsibility. Why? Because you got this thing in your head, and it distracted you. Or in the church, in the life of the ministry of the church, in, the li in your life at work. You know, your boss gives you a task, and you got this thought going on, and it just distracts you. I mean... Maybe God is trying to say to you, learn a little bit better how to understand my will in your life. Because it's not just something you're not doing for your family or for the church or for your boss, but it's something that I'm connected to. Do you see what I'm trying to say? I mean, clarify the biblical issue Christ reveals in what you are experiencing. Look inside of it. Ask what it is. The second step is discover what Christ says about it. Now, this is really easy. You just take that object, you take that thing, whatever it is, and then you, you end up asking the question, what passages speak to that? List the passages. Read those passages. Understand those passages. What did Jesus say about that subject, that thing that I'm experiencing? What did he say? Where did he say it? Pull the passages out. Read them. I mean, it's not hard, right? This is easy. 
Anyone can do that. These subjects are findable, first of all. The passages are certainly readable. We've got all kinds of translations. And your ability to understand is there. By the way, Jesus is not hard to understand. Not at all. As a matter of fact, in His day, when He spoke, people really understood Him. Some of those people laid down everything in their life and followed Him to their death for years and years and years, gave up everything because of what He said. They understood Him. And others wanted to kill Jesus because of what He said. They understood Him. You can understand him too. And the third step in this is discover what the apostles expanded, how they expanded what Jesus said on that particular issue. In theology, the way we would describe it is to say that the apostles took what Jesus said, the subject that he might have given one word to or one sentence to or maybe a section to, and they would build it out. What does this look like in the life of a Christian, in the life of a local congregation, in the life of a nation, in the life of people, the people of God? What does it look like? They would build it out. So what did the apostles say about that same subject? Read it, list it, read it, understand it. Again, not hard. They're, they're, you can actually do that. Now here's, here's where the problem comes. Because this fourth one, develop a simple plan of action. When you find out what they said, just figure out what you're going to do next. <laughs> One thing, two things, three things. I mean, if you get more than that, you're, you're, you're too complex. The problem is, you know, we get this seven-step process, and right in the middle of taking those steps, we forget what number four is. And I go, hmm, I don't know what number four is, and we're trying to do number five. But we don't even know what number four is, and we're not prepared to do number five because we didn't do number four. That's called too complex. Don't make it that hard. I'm serious. Boil it down to where there's one, two, three things. Things that you can do. Things that you can understand. Because there's a goal in this. And the goal is to accomplish what Christ and the apostles taught. How do you get that thing that Christ and the apostles taught in your life? That's the goal. The goal isn't to do everything. You can't do everything. Do one thing. Make it simple. If you don't have a simple plan, then you're too complex. And complex plans just don't work. They don't work. Have you ever contended with Jesus? Have you ever contended with Jesus over this statement? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. <laughs> I have. I go, what do you mean? This is hard. <laughs> this is challenging. This is tough. This is, I don't understand. This is, I'm confused. This is easy. No, 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 Jesus. But listen, as soon as I believe that Jesus' yoke isn't easy, it demonstrates that I do not understand what his yoke is. And if I would understand what it is, I would discover how easy it is because his burden is light. He meant it when he said it. Make this easy. I'm serious. Make this simple. Too many Christians live a too complex Christian life. They, they end up believing they can't accomplish the very thing God said for them to accomplish. And of course they can. How do we know that? Because He said it. <laughs> He's not going to ask you something that you cannot accomplish. He's just not going to. And if you think it's that way, you, you misunderstand it. Fifth step. Find someone to implement the plan with you. <laughs> Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. 
You know why? Because you can't. You can't do it alone. God made us relationally, and He made us to live in communities. It might be the way some would say it. He made us to be connected with other people. He made us to get someone to walk this out with. I mean, figure out what your simple plan is, the one thing, the two things, and then follow that plan together. Just say, will you help me do this? You know? Maybe just give you five minutes a day, five minutes a week, whatever. It doesn't make any difference. Will you help me do this? Do what? Whatever the simple plan says. What's your simple plan? Come up with your simple plan and then ask someone, will you, you know, check me out. Ask me, am I doing it? You know? Help me understand what it means. If you don't see me doing it, say, hey, you're not doing it. Oh, I want to do it. It's my plan. I can. It's simple. I want to obey Christ. I want to have the health that He wants me to have, the growth He wants me to have. Here's the way I'm going to get there. I can do this. And, and the, the person points it out. The person helps. Discuss it every week. I mean, let it be normal to your life. Let it be part of how you live your life. To where you talk about what that simple plan is. And when the plan changes, because God says something new to you, that's kind of how life is, right? You know, you've accomplished the other thing, or the other thing is going to be, okay, we're going to set it aside for a minute. That's okay. Just go to the new plan. It's, it doesn't matter. I mean, it does not matter. You understand? And, and watch what God does. Watch how He does what He does in your life. As you help this, this other person helps you do that. As you guys talk about it. As you live it out, so to speak. And never stop. Never stop. I mean, five easy steps. Those are easy steps. Anyone can do those steps. I'm still not asking the will question. Just the capacity question. There's not a person in this room who can't do those five things. Not one. So how do you grow in Christ? How does growth in your life actually take place? What do you do in order to cause that growth to take place? Well, what I would like for us to do now is, is use an example. And my hope in taking this example, and that's Matthew chapter 6. You may want to go ahead and turn there. My hope in giving us this example is, to, is not to reteach this, because this Matthew 6 text, we've already taught it. I'm just going to remind you of two things inside of it. I'm not going to try to reteach it. That's not the point at all. But the point is now, what do I do about it? You know, how do I apply that in my life when this thing is happening inside of my life? I hope that what we do now will become a model for you so that you can say, okay, here's what I need to do. Here's how I need to do this, okay? Identifying the word that Christ said about this and then identifying what the apostles said about it in extension of that. I'll give you an example of that. Now, my, my hope here is, is just that we learn, okay? That we just learn together. Because how I grow in Christ is up to me. And how you grow in Christ is up to you. How do you grow in Christ? That's the question. With me? Okay, six elements. Well, not, not there yet. This, this text, Matthew chapter 6. Here, here's where Jesus talks about this. And he talks about worry, doesn't he? And he ends up saying this, you know, single hour. You can't add a single hour by worry. You can't do it. No matter how big the, the problem is, no matter how big the list is, and when you get up in the morning, you just go, oh my goodness, how in the world am I going to get everything I've got to do today? accomplished. I just do not know. You know, and you just stew inside that. And you get emotional about it. You feel like a failure before you start. 
and you go, I might as well not even get out of bed. What's that called? It's called worry. And Jesus is saying, don't worry. It doesn't work. <laughs> it's not helpful. It's harmful. You can't add one minute to your day. Do you see it? So where do you focus? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first. Priorities, seek first. Early, seek first. Most important, seek first. First, Him. His kingdom, His righteousness. Not yours, Him. His. It's that holiness of God thing being worked out in your life. How do you grow in Christ? How do you experience the holiness of God, the righteousness of Christ? This is where the focus needs to be. It's not just on conquering the problem or dealing with the bad parts of life, the challenges of life that just are there every day. It's not just about that. Because when you get focused like that, it's called worry. You're focusing on, you're missing it. He's, no, he's saying, no, 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 don't focus there. Focus here. Focus on my kingdom. Focus on my righteousness. If you focus here, you're going to make development. That's what he's saying. If you don't, you're going to worry. I mean, Jesus taught a lot about in this little chapter, in chapter 6 of, of, of Matthew, about worry. Central thing that he said is don't. <laughs> Instead of that, seek first. Priority. He has to become priority or else worry is going to take place. That's the teachings of Jesus, right? So that's that, that second step in the process. You find out, okay, God doesn't want me to worry. He doesn't want me to be belabored by worry and just contending all the time with the problems of life. No, He wants me to hear from Christ. And Christ says, Matthew 6, don't worry, focus on me. Focus on my kingdom. Focus on my righteousness. You can grow in Christ. So what did the apostles say about that? We'll turn to Philippians chapter 4 with me. Philippians chapter 4. Because here comes the apostle Paul now, and he's going to expand what Jesus says in Matthew 6 and in the other places where he speaks about worry into a process, if you will, or a steps, if you will, elements, I'm going to call them, six elements to remember, um, of, of the ability to understand how do I overcome this problem of worry? How do I deal with my life when worry is part of me? Got it? Get the illustration? Okay, look at number one. It's found in verse 4, and it's just simply called rejoice. As a matter of fact, he says it twice. Rejoice. Rejoice. Now, if, if, if someone asked me, what does that word mean? I would say, well, it's not just about the emotional element of it. You know, it's not just about the nature of feel better. You know, sometimes rejoice means feel better. And if I just felt better, I'd be okay. You know, that kind of thing. No, it's praise. That's what he's talking about. Rejoice in the Lord. He's talking about your worship life here. So that every day, no matter what's going on in my life, praise is part of how I address my setting, how I think about what I'm dealing with, how I feel about what I'm dealing with, whether I feel like I've not got the ability to do everything I need to do today or not. It doesn't matter. Start with praise. Start with rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Just praise. You know why this is true? If you're not worshiping God, in a moment, you are worshiping something else. We worship all the time. God made us as worshiping beings. And if you're not intentionally worshiping Him, if you're not in the moment understanding the nature 
of how what you are doing is worship to Him, you're worshiping something else. And when you worship something else, do you think it makes you worry? Do you think it takes you offline, off of what God is after in your life? How you grow in Christ? Absolutely. Worship is essential to spiritual growth. You won't make it without it. That's part of what the Apostle Paul is saying. So when you deal with worry, when you deal with these things in your life, you're not quite sure how to get, you have to start here. There is nothing that should ever silence your praise of God. (laughs) If something is silencing your praise of God, change it. Do you see it? Because if you're not praising, if you're not worshiping Him, seek first. You got something else you're seeking. No wonder you're worried. You're on your own. Does that make sense? So it starts there. Rejoice, number two. Re-engage. Now, I'm using this phrase, re-engage. It comes out of this little verse 5 where he says, Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. And the focus of this whole thing, I'm going to just pull one thing out of this verse, and it's this little phrase, gentle, gentle spirit. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. I'm talking about re-engaging others, involving other people. If you were to work in corporate life, I, I dare say at some point in time in your experience in corporate life, walking down a hallway somewhere, you're going to see a placard at the end of that hallway that says, attitude is everything. <laughs> it's just been on every wall of every corporation in the world. Why is it on that wall? Because they know how you feel about and what your attitude is about what you do affects you. It affects you. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. Your attitude, I mean literally, your attitude toward others, your attitude toward the people that you are walking around controls everything. Everything. I mean, you may have something hard to say to that person, but but the attitude that you have about what it is that you have to say to that person will determine what happens when you say it to that person. I mean, you can come and say something hard to a person and say it harshly. Guess what's going to happen? Commonly, they ain't going to like it. (laughs) But if you say it with gentleness, if you say it with an attitude that says, I really care about you, I want there to be better for you than what you're experiencing. If you say it out of genuine care, man, progress, that's the word I would put to it. You experience progress. When gentleness doesn't qualify how I approach the other person, poor results usually happen. But when gentleness does, man, I'm responsive to it. I'm receptive when someone wants to say something hard to me when they say it gentle, aren't you? Now, if they just come across with a hammer, guess what? I don't want to get hit. That's why Paul is saying, let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. Now this last phrase, the Lord is near, has everything to do with why gentleness is the right attitude. Because the Lord is near. Some would interpret that little phrase, the Lord is near, to mean He's watching. Be careful how you express that. And is that true? Sure. But let me give you another explanation for the why that little phrase is there. Because the Lord is near. 
He will help you. He will empower you to talk about whatever it is you need to talk about. If you will engage with a gentleness, instead of that control, I'm going to conquer this, or that problem, we got a problem. You know, do you see it? Gentleness is the T, is the, is the, it's, it's just phenomenally important. I mean, and if we will re-engage with others, if we will re-engage with that person, we got a chance. I mean, that's what he's saying. If you don't re-engage, guess what? You're left with your thoughts, with your worries. You think you're going to overcome them? That's why they're there, because you can't overcome them. <laughs> if you could, they wouldn't be there. Does that make sense? Okay, jump to three now. Replacement. Now, this is this Philippians 4, 6 thing. I know you've heard a hundred sermons on this, so I'm not going to re-preach the sermon. It's about replacement, like this word but in this word, in this verse where it says, be anxious for nothing but in everything. It could be replaced by the word instead. You know, instead of worry, instead of anxiety, pray. It's a replacement principle, isn't it? So that w the way I've taught it in the past, and some of you will remember this, is red flag of worry. Every time worry takes place in my life, it's a red flag that God is saying, please talk to me about that. Why? Because when I worry, I want something. I want something. And what is it I want? What could be a lot of different things. Sometimes I'm confused. I'm not even sure what it is, and I'm worried about things. That really causes the ringing of the hands. You ever been worried about something you don't know what you want out of it? I mean, that's called confusion. It's, it's challenging. It's hard. But if I will get to the place to where I go, okay, I want something. What is it I want? Then I'll talk to God about that thing that I want. I'm going to make progress again. Replace worry with prayer. prayer uh, worry is this signal that God is saying to you, I'm making this so personal in order for you to connect to me. Won't you invite me into the situation instead of trying to control it yourself through worry? Now, we can do that through all kinds of prayer. That's the word general, general term for prayer here. And the word supplication is a very specific term for prayer. It's talking about a particular kind of prayer. I think it's talking about the prayer of the psalmist when he says that he poured out his heart before the Lord. He poured out his soul before the Lord. I call it regurgitation, by the way. You throw up to the Lord, you know. I know, that's gross. So, but you're getting honest, you know. Just letting it rip. Everything's coming out, whatever it is. It doesn't make any difference whether it's a very general kind of prayer or a very specific kind of prayer. What needs to happen? When you do it with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Why are you worrying? Because you want something. Talk to God about it. I mean, do you want the will of God? If something isn't the will of God, do you want that? Talk to God about it. Can you quantify and classify what the will of God is? Yes, you can. God is wanting. See, worry becomes this opportunity for us to really connect with God. So that Jesus, seven times in the book of Matthew, uses this word. Five of them is in Matthew chapter 6. Wow, it's phenomenal. The power of this. In Mark chapter 4, when he gives the parable of the sower, what does he say? In verse 19, when he uses the word worries, he says the worries of this world choke out the word of God. Why do you need to resolve worry in your life? Because when you go identify what Christ said about this and what the apostles said about this, and you've got your simple plan of how it's going to work out in your life, if you keep worrying, it's going to, cho it's going to choke all that stuff out. The very word of God that can transform your life won't happen in your life because worry has replaced it, and it will choke it out. Jesus is saying, don't go there. Do you see? We need to find out what Christ said about it and what the apostles taught about it so that it doesn't get choked out in our lives.
replacement principle, right? Simple? Got it? Look at number four. I call it reception. You ever looked at verse 7 of this text? It's a phenomenal verse of Scripture, isn't it? I mean, it's one of those verses that's just so engaging and empowering. I mean, just think about what that verse says. The result of the peace of God in your life is emotional and mental. Do you know how much we spend on mental health services in the United States of America? <laughs> a lot of money. A lot. Do you know how much is lost in economic terms in American business because of emotional problems in the workers? It's a major issue, so much so that major corporations actually have counselors, trained counselors on their staffs, and they want you to call them. If you feel bad, they want you to talk to them because they know productivity will go up if you do. Why? Because emotional health or the lack of it is damaging to production. Now that's not just a, just a business term. That's true in our lives. It's true relationally in our lives. And what, what Paul is trying to say here is there needs to be this reception of the peace of God. I mean, it, if, if your peace, if the peace that you experience doesn't literally transcend your ability to produce that peace, it's not the peace of God. If, if you can produce peace in your own life, it's not the peace of God. What's required here is the peace of God. Something that can only come from Him. And when you get what comes from Him, it blows your mind. It's beyond comprehension. I mean, it surpasses how I can physically figure this thing out. I mean, it's amazing what happens in the life of a warrior when they get the peace of God. Right in the middle of everything going wrong, they just go, now they've got a chance to experience the growth that God wants for them. I need to receive the peace of God. Don't try to figure it out yourself. You can't. And if you can, you're trying to be God. Do you see? That's not what God is out for in your life. He, I mean, He wants you to reach past the ability of what you can produce, the harmony you can produce. The harmony you can produce will never match up. Never. That's why it takes His peace. And it's beyond all comprehension of how it does what it does. It guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Emotional health, mental health. Both of them. Phenomenal. But you've got to receive. Why? Because you can't produce it. Do you see it? Do you see what I'm saying? Talk to me. Do you? Yeah. You have to receive. And if you will, he's ready. See, the apostle's building it out now. He's saying this is what it looks like. This is how, I mean, it's about how you think. It's about how you feel. As a matter of fact, look at number five. I mean, here he comes in the next verse, in verse eight. I'm calling it rethink. <laughs> and when you look at this little verse of Scripture, it's got, it's got so much in it. Go all the way down to the end of the verse. He says, dwell on these things. I mean, thinking is the key to everything. The way I think about something is the key to everything. It controls everything that I believe or want or understand. I mean, the way I think about it. And so the apostle is saying, when you're in the middle of these worry settings, you've got to change the focus. You've got to move it over. You've got to think about something else. Dwell on these things. 
As a matter of fact, the term that's used here for dwell, in some verses it says think on these things, it's, it's a term, it's in, it's in the imperative mood, and it's in the present middle tense. And it's a term that says, not just think once, like, yeah, I thought about this verse one time, you know, Let's see, it was 1974, I think it was June. That's not what he means, is it? No, he means dwell on these things. The phrase actually means habit of thinking. So that there's a habitual nature to how these things, these truths that God is trying to get us focused around and live our life from and through to the effect that they have in our lives. It's phenomenal. But worry doesn't think about these things, you see? And the apostle is saying, how do you break the worry? Because you have to change the focus. You have to move the habit of your thoughts out of the center of where they are now. He uses the same term, by the way, in, in Romans chapter 6, in that great chapter on the effect of salvation in our lives, you know, chapter 6 through 8. And in chapter 6, verse 11, he ends up using the word, he says, consider yourselves dead to sins. Consider yourself alive to God. That word consider is the same word translated dwell here. Exactly the same word. It's phenomenal. You see, it's about the nature of how I'm thinking. I mean, he wants us to reason. He wants us to reason with him. But what, what does worry do to us? It makes us reason without him. Do you see it? And when I go through my life, if I'm worried about something, and we all have them, right? Remember the text? Remember the teaching? No, I don't want to reteach it. We all have that stuff. I mean, if I go through life and I stay focused over there, guess what? That worry is going to control my life. I need to rethink something different, something that actually disrupts the thing that keeps me from doing what His will is in my life. And He, he wants that. Does that make sense? Okay, here's the, the final one. I call it retry. <laughs> retry. I think too many of us have given up. We, we've given up. And specifically, when you get down to verse 9, I think what the apostle is trying to make a case for is that there's a, there's a place where we need to come back to the table and we need to do this again. We need to try again. Retry. And specifically what I think he's thinking about is to stop being alone in our faith. You know, stop being alone about it. it you can't be alone about it. It has to be lived out with someone else. And you need to retry this. And I know what many people say, I tried church. Are you having friends like that? Oh, I tried church. Retry. Some people say, I tried those prayer partner things. Just give me a good old Bible study. I don't, you know, I'll go home and figure it out. Retry. It comes out of these words, you know, learned. You know, something was taught. And they got it. Hey, we're well taught, aren't we? We know a lot, don't we? We know a lot. American Christians are the most well-taught people in the world. We spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on making sure we're taught. So the apostle is saying, you've learned and now received. You've accepted those things as the truth. It's not just something that you were taught. You say, okay. No, you said, I want to live by that. That's, that's real. That's rich. I want that in my life. 
You received it. Heard and seen in me. Here's the connector. I need to live this out with another person where I see it in real life. Where I see it in a person who's walking it out every day with all the flaws that they have, all the stuff that they bring to the table, just like I do. I need that. I need those connectors. We need to retry those relationships. We need to retry. We need to get back into the. God did not create us to be alone. He created us to be together. And we need to retry. I mean, you will fail if you try this by yourself. You know why many Christians are floundering? Because they believe they can grow by themselves. And that's just not the truth. It's never been the truth and it never will be the truth. We need to engage it this way so that the peace of God... You see, practice these things. Let these things get built out in your life. That person being the example for you, you being the example for them. (laughs) You know why? Because it's real. That's why. Because it's real. See, how do you grow in Christ? How do you grow in Christ? Well, Lord, I want to thank you that you have been so practical to address the things that we experience every day. And that right in the middle of those experiences, you haven't lost your ability to control or to help or to be there. As a matter of fact, you are there. But right in the middle of those experiences, you're trying to point something out to us. And sometimes we're hard-headed, sometimes we're slow, But Lord, we want to get there. And so my prayer for me today and for us today, for our families and for Cornerstone Church, is that we make it simple. We simply do it. We take one step. Not think we have to take four, five, or eight. But we take one step. And then we do it together, and we do it through the power of your word. We let your word tell us what that step is. And as we apply that in our lives, watch the difference. Watch the growth. might not be pretty. certainly won't be perfect. But it'll be mine, and it'll be real. I experienced that with a person this week, God. You changed them, and you changed me. Thank you. Cause that growth that you came to give us to be real to us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. together.